This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. We're going to transition to uh, actually healthcare transitions, and I want to um, introduce you to um, Ms. Judy Bachman, who is the manager of the medical therapy program of the CCS, which is the California Children's Services uh, in the city and county of San Francisco. Uh, Ms. Cindy Ullman, who is the senior occupational therapist, hi Cindy, uh, CCS medical therapy program, city and county of San Francisco. And then uh, Ms. Chris White, um, who is assistant chief therapist from CCS and Alameda County. Good morning, everyone. I'm really happy to be here this morning to talk to you about transition. So yes, I have been with California Children's Services for quite a while, Um, been with this program for um, over 15 years. And over that time, I've gotten to see many of my clients grow up and graduate and go through transition aging out of our program. Um, As a physical therapist, um, as much as I love helping my clients learn to crawl and walk and run, Um, and reach their goals that they have today, I also want them to be able to do that tomorrow and for years to come. And so that's really how I got interested in transition was um, experiencing that progression and and timeframe for my clients. And that is really um, the topic that we have at hand today, talking about the transition program in California Children's Services. So I have no conflicts of interest. Um, Today, our objectives for my portion of the program are Um, talking about what transition is and why it's important for CCS clients and others, um, and then how Alameda County specifically addresses transition. So let's start by defining transitions. We have some shared language around that. So um, Minito and Clark in their research define transition as the deliberate coordinated process of moving a patient from pediatric-oriented healthcare to adult-oriented healthcare, with the goal of optimizing the young adult's ability to assume adult roles and functions. So that is complicated. Um, Transition can be considered very simple. You used to see a pediatrician, you're older, now you see an adult primary care provider, Um, but there's a lot more facets to it than that, especially for young adults with special healthcare needs. Um, There's a medical piece of that transition going from pediatrician to adult, but also all the other specialists that are in pediatrics transitioning to adult care, Um, And then there's also legal transitions and social transitions and financial transitions. So there's a lot that happens during this timeframe that really affects our clients. Um, Why is it important? Um, Well, the first reason that it's important is because everyone does it. Um, Everyone who gets older has to transition from pediatric care to adult care. And it is inherently harder for um, young adults with special health care needs to make that transition. Typically, developing young people don't have to worry about it too much. They just shift doctors and it's fine. Um, But um, young adults with special needs really have a lot more complications that are added on. And so it's just a very important time, um, a potentially traumatic time, a time that induces a lot of fear in our families and um, clients. And so it becomes very important to them. Another piece that makes it important is Um, A lot of our clients and families don't know how to do it. They don't know the implications of this time frame and what's going to happen. And so um, they need assistance. 
Another reason why it's important for us in CCS is we're mandated to do it. So the Department of Healthcare Services put this information notice out in 2010 that requires us to participate. Um, so our among our roles are um, communication with primary care providers, um, helping to create a transition plan, things like that. So that's what transition is and why it's important. Let's talk about what the challenges are for CCS, California Children's Services graduates, and other clients like them. So for CCS in particular, for most of our CCS graduates, there's no adult equivalent to um, CCS. There's no program that has therapy um, for those that qualify for it and nurse case managers and kind of all of those services that we provide. So that can be um, fear-inducing for a lot of our clients. They don't know exactly where they're gonna get those same services. In addition to that, another challenge is that research really shows that um, during this time frame of transition age, there's a higher incidence of harmful effects. So there, um, uh, these young adults have more medical emergencies. They have higher rates of hospital admissions and emergency department usage. Uh, they fail to access adult services. They are lost to follow up. That happens a lot during this time frame. They're also very unprepared for how adult healthcare works, and so don't always know how to access it adequately. Um, they're used to the last 20 years sometimes of their pediatric providers that they've gotten to know. They have a level of intimacy that they've developed because they're so well known. Um, and that disappears when they have to shift to adult care because they have to start over. Um, there's much more, much higher expectation for self-management, um, less handholding like happens in the pediatric world. So that culture shift is really um, um, helps to add to these harmful effects. Um, and um, during this time frame, there is excess morbidity and mortality compared to other populations. Uh, another set of challenges our clients really have their own worries and barriers that they experience during this time. So they, um, they're worried about pushy medical professionals trying to force interventions on them that they don't want. They're worried about being ignored um, and, you know, having our clients who have challenges, being infantilized, not being addressed, um, providers addressing, you know, caregivers only. Um, our clients are worried about struggling to take care of themselves and making their own decisions. They're worried about um, just the process overall and switching providers. Um, additional barriers they run into, um, not, uh, not having enough communication between pediatric and adult providers, um, and even just finding adult providers who serve them, who are familiar with and willing to take on um, the various conditions that, that our young adults in CCS have. So what do we do in Alameda County? Um, that's what we want to transition to now. Uh, we know what transition age is, what it means. Um, in Alameda County, we are trying really hard to take a holistic approach um, within the limitations that our program kind of puts on us. We know that our young adults are not just their diagnosis. They're not just diabetes or just cerebral palsy. They're an entire person. And so we try really hard to address all the aspects that we can. Um, additionally, we are looking at the various phases of transition. So the first, you know, there's some defined phases. One is um, a kind of a um, three-piece uh, phase description. So readiness, knowledge, and preparation for transition, the actual transition of care um, within, you know, going from pediatric to adult, that logistic piece, and then the integration of care, um, establishing with adult providers and then moving forward and you know, having successful medical interactions. So at, in Alameda County, we are um, 
try to be really involved in the readiness piece of that, as well as the actual transfer of care. Um, we're less involved in the integration of care because usually by then they've graduated and moved on. So we're just unable to provide that service, but we try really hard to prepare them as much as we can. So how do we accomplish that? We have a three-pronged approach that we take. Um, the first is internally, what do we do within our own staff um, to manage this? And then we have our patient care approach. What are we doing with our clients and, and actually interacting with them? And then we have advocacy. What do we do out in the community to really help um, make transition easier and smoother? So let's talk about what we do internally first. Um, really the linchpin of our program is our social worker. We have a full-time social worker dedicated entirely to transition work. Um, so she does a lot. She basically, her caseload is basically all the CCS clients in Alameda County of transition age. Um, she provides individual case management to those clients um, on the phone with them, emailing and texting them, giving them specific resources and um, direction. She supports um, our staff, does a lot of training. She does community support, going out and discussing with community providers and helping them. So she does a lot. Um, and then we have internally, um, we do a lot of staff training to help our staff be prepared to help our young adults who are in transition age. Um, so several years ago, maybe 10 or so, we kind of started um, a transition committee. Um, we definitely weren't the first to do this, but we were trying to figure out what we were doing with transition at the time. So our social worker, our transition social worker, um, who clearly had an interest in transition, and then myself as part of the medical therapy program, I had an interest and there was a nurse manager who also did. And the three of us kind of did a little bit of a grassroots start and then with the blessing of our leadership, established our transition committee. Um, and our goal was really figure out where we were at in CCS, what we were doing um, to move transition forward for our clients. So we did some data collection ourselves, research into what was happening out in the world, trying to figure out where our community um, resources were at. One of the first things we did for staff training at that point was to, we started quarterly transition meetings. So what would happen is um, the transition social worker and myself would attend these meetings. We'd have a parent liaison who would attend and then our nurse case managers would attend. And we would go through the nurse's caseload of all the kids of transition age and look at what are their barriers? What are they running into? What red flags are we seeing that we could help them with? And then we would brainstorm some solutions and take those back to the young adults and their families. We reached kind of a point where we didn't need that level of infrastructure anymore and we shifted from there into having um, office hours with our social worker. Um, so she would just have open time where nurses could come and ask questions and um, problem solve with her for our, their specific clients that they saw um, issues with that they were running into. At this point, we actually don't do either one of those things. We've kind of reached a saturation point with our staff where um, we they feel like they know what to do and they've really reached the goal that we have had internally of um, feeling a sense of urgency around transition, knowing that transition is not, not an extra thing, but an extension of what we already do. Because since we care about our clients today, we also care about them when they graduate. And so we wanna make sure we're putting, setting them up for success. So once we went through these transition um, various infrastructures, we kind of reached a point where our staff are doing a really good job um, actually doing this work. And so we don't have those, that infrastructure set up anymore. For our therapy staff, we also do a lot of training to help them feel prepared to help um, our CCS therapy clients, um, which is kind of a different level of interaction that we do. And so we've done a lot of training there as well that I'll cover. So that's our internal piece that we do um, with our social worker and staff. 
Um, in terms of patient care, kind of the second piece of our approach to transition, we do a lot of things. Um, the first thing we do is the simplest thing is a mailing. So every year um, to all of our kids, our clients who have reached a certain age cutoff, we send out a mailing that includes resource information and um, some self-help tools for them to figure out what they can do, maybe self-identify some gaps and needs that they have. Um, in addition to that, we have medical therapy clinics or MTCs. So this is part of our therapy program. Um, before transition age, a medical therapy clinic is fairly straightforward. It's the doctor and the therapist meeting with the families and our clients um, and coming up with a rehab plan. Once they reach transition age, we switch our clients into transition medical therapy clinics. These clinics are run by a, a physician trained in transition. And then we have our social worker who attends um, and our therapy staff who attend. We invite um, other community members to attend that, that seems like would be appropriate. So regional center case managers, um, other people, you know, wraparound services that are involved with our clients, we invite them to attend as well since it's a really comprehensive conversation that we try to have around transition. And we discuss a lot of things. It's actually really helpful to have, especially outside providers like regional center caseworkers to come um, because we're not just talking about uh, medical transition and making sure that there are adult providers set up. We're also discussing legal transitions. This is now an 18-year-old who um, has to make their own legal decisions and what kind of decision-making support is needed. We ask questions like, what's going to happen after high school? Do you Are you going to need a day program? Is the plan living independently? Do you need an attendant? So we kind of start preparing for that and thinking about what are the different resources that can happen. Um, so that transition medical therapy clinic is really key. Another patient care aspect that we do is really basic therapy follow-up, right? So we, we have a lot of clients in the therapy program receiving services. And so our physical and occupational therapists do a really good job making sure that their equipment is very up-to-date, that they're ready to go, they have their home program in place and know what they're going to do. And then we have community clinics. So um, we have one at the moment um, that we run with Alta Bates Hospital at the Herrick campus. Um, we have a relationship with the rehab department there and a nurse practitioner who runs the disability um, clinic. And we have a warm handoff. We bring in the clients, we come, uh, therapy representatives and our social worker attend the client, the appointment with the client, have a conversation so everybody gets to know each other and knows where they're at and what they're doing. Um, they see the building, they know what, what what's going to happen. They leave that appointment with a follow-up and a plan for what's going to happen when they graduate from CCS. That's our patient care approach. For advocacy, this is really what we're doing out in the community. So we do a lot of provider training and outreach. Um, our, our transition social worker goes out into the community, into primary care clinics, and um, does trainings with them, trainings with special care centers to help those providers um, learn and feel supported in doing the work of transition, which is not a small task. Um, we also do a lot of community outreach, um, fair transition fairs and the like. We actually have a transition fair coming up later this month, Alameda County Transition Fair happening on March 25th at the College of Alameda. So our transition social worker has helped to put that together and is helping to staff that and train and provide resources there. And then we have a youth advisory council. Um, this is populated by um, previous, you know, graduated CCS clients and some current CCS clients. Um, they give us feedback on our program, various printed materials and things like that. And then they learn how to do disability advocacy work as well. Um, this is actually a, an old picture of uh, one of our, some of our members of Youth Advisory Council and their facilitator, Nikki Booker from 
oh gosh, pre-pandemics, uh, five years ago, maybe this was a really great group and people who are involved in this group really like it um, and enjoy the aspects of it that they get. So that's really a snapshot of what we do in Alameda County. Um, at this point, I'm gonna go ahead and turn the presentation over to Judy Bachman and Cindy Ullman so they can talk about what happens in San Francisco. Thank you, Chris. Um, I think I, some of what I'm sharing may be just a little bit repetitive, um, but it doesn't hurt to hear good information again. Um, like Chris was saying, transition has been an evolution. We've tried a lot of different things. Systems change, people change, resources change. Um, currently, I'm happy to say that we're seeing a lot of, uh, of efforts made in the community about transition, and the challenge now is to coordinate those things. Can you move to the next slide, please? So I think I've addressed that. Our social worker, uh, senior PT and senior OT, um, really take the lead in transition planning and uh, work with the family and client extensively. Uh, next slide. I'm gonna share these resources with you. Um, I gave them to, to Galen to distribute and they're things that you are certainly welcome to steal, borrow, improve, um, use in any way that's helpful to you. But we do have, um, if you'll go to the next slide, a transition graphic, which is sort of an overview of the process, what should start at different ages. Um, realistically, we're not finding a lot of family engagement at the 14, 15, or even 17 um, years of age. But by the time the kids hit 19 and 20, the families are starting to think ahead and then they're ready to participate in transition planning. Uh, next page. We've developed a transition brochure that we try to share with clients and it just has some general information to get people thinking about what they need to consider. I think uh, the next page is more of the transition brochure. It has a bit of resources, who to contact, things to think about. We also have on the next slide, um, this is what we send out annually, which is a flyer that goes out with required annual paperwork for the CCS program. Um, realistically, I think we didn't do a good job during the pandemic of distributing these, but we're getting back on track. Uh, and it's again, just a reminder, and it takes several reminders usually to get people engaged. The next slide, uh, this is one of those part of the evolution things that we're really excited about. Um, our medical director, Dr. Ben Meisel, worked to secure uh, grant funding to form an interagency collaborative. And it's an opportunity for all of many of our community groups that work with children with special health care needs and their families to have the services coordinate, build capacity, and address issues of uh, racial inequities. So very excited as that's developing. And it's going to be a big help with transition. So another thing to consider, and this is just a reminder, is everything changes at age 18. And all of a sudden, these clients have control over their health care decisions and communications. So at CCS, we have a form that allows the client and family to decide who we can communicate with, but it doesn't carry any weight outside of CCS. So just a reminder that those things need to be addressed. Um, we've had families show up at the hospital and not be allowed to participate in decision-making for their kids because they didn't have anything in place and it became a barrier. On the next slide, um, 
transition meetings are sort of the core of our work. I'm going to pass this to Cindy pretty quickly here, but just to say we um, offer transition meetings starting at age 19. We, like Alameda, try to bring in the community providers and uh, invite the PCPs. Dr. Takayama has uh, participated in some of our transition meetings, and that's been so valuable. Um, our social worker helps to track the kids and who's needed, who's needed to come in for transition planning. And I think one of the things that I don't have on a slide, but want to be sure to share is um, our, one of our local managed care plans has been very um, involved in transition planning. And they send us a list of kids turning 21 just a few months in advance and ask for um, loads of transition information. It allows them to prepare to identify vendors that they'll be able to authorize. And that's been a really wonderful partnership. At this point, I'm gonna let uh, Cindy take over and talk more in depth about the meetings. Okay, you can go on to the next slide. Um, like Judy said, it's really one of the critical um, parts of transition for families is really getting to see the faces of people at the health managed care plans um, that they're going to be working with and talking to about multiple things from services to providers to authorizations, that whole process. Because when it comes down to uh, things like how do I get into a, uh, a wheelchair? How am I going to pay for this equipment? How, who do I talk to to authorize these things through my insurance? That the the participation of the folks, uh, the caseworkers and the liaisons from the uh, managed care plans is really a really important piece. And uh, it's, it's a way for us to give a nice handoff between the folks that are nurse case managers who do a lot of that process for transition and authorization of everything, handing it over to the insurance folks, the managed care plan uh, caseworkers who will be doing that in the future. So um, what we do, go, go ahead on to the next slide. So we've developed this exit summary. It, it's a, a simple Word document um, that we fill out ahead of time. We provide it to one of our managed care plans because they request it with all this information on it. Um, this document, we it, I'll, I'll be going through it a little bit to show you some of the information we provide on it. But it ends up being at the end, uh, you know, after the ch child is finished with our program, it becomes a major resource document for them with all the contact information, um, lists of equipment that they have, um, still outstanding items or to, or to do list kinds of things for the managed care plan to maybe address. Um, with the family or the PCP might, uh, you know, have some items on there that they still may need to have discussions with about the family. But this tool really, aside from just being a Word document that's modifiable and changeable and adaptable, um, it's really the main resource that we use to open up discussions for the transition meetings that we have. And like Judy said, that's the core of our transition program is really getting down to the nitty gritty of details um, in these transition meetings. Um, of course, we on the form, we provide the demographics um, and information about resources and who to contact, phone numbers for the uh, managed care plan, their medical group, um, all of that, because that that's going to be a really important um, contact for the family to develop a really good relationship with those people. Um, you can go on to the next slide. 
Um, the next big section is with regards to the adult providers. Uh, families are all often asking us, well, you know, I don't know who my new GI doctor will be. Um, and then, you know, that's kind of out of our purview. It's not for us to decide who that next physician will be for them. Um, but because we're fortunate to have the primary care physician attend our uh, transition meetings, sometimes they can be of help to um, move that process along um, because many of our clients have lots of subspecialty providers. Um, and, you know, we encourage them also to have conversations with those providers so that they can maybe give them uh, names of people that can uh, continue with their care into adulthood. Um, so we list on this form the whole group of providers that they have, whether they're still the pediatric providers or the adult providers. And again, this form that I'm showing you now is one of our earlier versions of our exit summary. We've certainly modified it many times since and improved upon it. Um, it's always changing because um, we'll list both who the pediatric providers were and who the adult ones are if we know them. But it helps actually the PCP um, to guide them through what still needs to be done, too, because we share this document with the regional center, with the primary care physicians, with perhaps even support for families, um, certainly with the family um, and with um, the therapy, the adult therapy providers. Um, we have a good relationship now um, with some of the St. Mary's and UCSF uh, therapy providers for OT and PT, actually. Um, so we will share, invite them to these meetings and share this document with them um, so that we have consistency and continuity of care when they leave us. Um, we provide our information as not because they're going to be able to access us in the future, um, but we put it down there in case some of the providers, the adult providers want to contact us and have a discussion about what has been tried before, what has worked, what hasn't with this client. Um, so we include our information on there as well. Um, next slide. Um, we list a lot of um, the other agencies that are involved here, just so that families do have a name and an address and some contact phone numbers um, for whether it be Golden Gate Regional Center or, like I said, support for families. Um, some of our kids are still in the community access transition programs with the high schools, and we work with those people, uh, you know, up until they're finished with our program. But, you know, many of our kids are in that program until the age of 22. So we kind of do a trans, a mini transition with them as well in this process. We don't always include them in the transition meetings here because we meet with them during their IEPs or other school related meetings just between CCS and school programs, but they're, in, they're involved in the process in total as well. So we include the information on our summaries um, for that reason. Um, equipment is always a big um, concern and issue for families. Um, so we go above and beyond probably in listing out every piece of equipment that they have, when they got it, um, who the vendor was, the contact information, phone numbers, names, everything. Again, this is an older version, so it's not even as uh, in-depth and detail as what some of our newer um, summaries look like. But we provide them, the families, with instructions for who to contact, for repairs, for new equipment assessments and things like that. Um, Go to the next slide, please. Um, sometimes even in that equipment section, we'll put down step-by-step -step instructions for what to do and who to call for, whether it's a repair need, do they need authorization for it, do they need a prescription first. We give them step-by-step -step directions, either on this form itself or as a separate document as a tip page. Um, we've also been developing other uh, appendices, um, resource pages, basically, for things like 
adaptive driving schools, some options for that, or um, Department of Rehab contacts, dentistry information, because these are concerns that almost always come up when we're asked about. Even though we don't provide a lot of those services, we still try to make this rounded out, look at it in a holistic way, just much like what Chris said, um, to provide families with options and uh, resources. Um, at the bottom of this form, this is kind of the end of our document. It's the place where we document all of their concerns, what they're most interested or worried about. Um, again, this form is an older version, but now we set it up more to be like, you know, here's the problem or the issue of concern. Here's the discussion around what needs to be done. And here are the people responsible for maybe getting marking these things off the list as we accomplish them or find a resolution to them or, or you know, get the resources that they need for it. Um, but essentially, this form is really super helpful for us um, to guide us through the discussions in the transition meetings. But in the end, um, it, it is going to be the resource document for the family so that they have all the contact phone numbers information. Um, and for the providers that get a copy of this, all of the people we invite and include, they know kind of from our list too what they have left to do and, and how they can support the family. Uh, I, there may be things that the health plan can provide like transporta transportation services for getting to medical therapy appointments. But I mean, we include so much detail on these forms and they're always individual to each uh, client. So um, it ends up being a really great document um, that because a lot of people, they're not very savvy with the technology and getting things through email. They want that hard paper copy where they can go to that piece of paper and look at the information and phone numbers and kind of know, check things off their list, too, of things that they want to get done. Um, so we found it very helpful. Um, and it's uh, it, it's 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 been a good tool for us. Again, we always are changing it, but um, the process um, is what's important. And we try to address all the family's concerns and and get them ready. Just as Chris said, we spend a lot of time prior to our meetings, even with the therapist, just preparing the clients, getting them ready, trying to think about all of the things that they need to get done or should be done before they leave our program. I'm going to hand it back to Judy. She's going to talk about our warm handoff. Okay. Um, next slide. So we were really fortunate. Our senior uh, physical therapist, Kathy Hayashida, took the lead on this and contacted some of the local therapy providers. Um, the families were often really concerned about how they could continue to have access to physical and occupational therapy. And um, the issue was people would show up at a hospital looking for outpatient services it would involve a therapist that didn't know them, wasn't maybe familiar with their history or their condition, um, and would do a few visits to address the problem and then close the case. If something came up again, then they'd deal with a new person. So the folks that we met with out in the community um, understood the issues. They were familiar with neurological clients and understood that, that these were going to be um, frequent flyers. And so they agreed to actually maintain a chart on these kids so that they have a history when they, I say kids, but they're adults. So when they show up again and again over time, um, the facility would have some information that they wouldn't always be starting from ground zero. So that was huge. And again, we'll try to connect. If the family is interested, we'll try to connect them. Some just want information so that they can call the facility. Some want to meet the therapist before they leave us. So we're able to do both of those things. The final slide is about a little bit of feedback we've gotten from clients. I'm going to go to that last slide, then we're all set. Um, I think 
you know, basically it's just hard. Adulting is hard. Um, it's hard to make sense of a new system. You don't get as much support. Um, the families and the clients shared that they really, um, it, it helped to do the preparation. They wanted to have um, even more support. They wanted to connect with an adult provider sooner so they could start building that relationship. Um, they wanted to have access to their electronic health records and understand how to do that. Um, so one of the clients said, I still had a lot to learn to do it myself without a team. I need to be more assertive. I need to take initiative and follow up. And his concerns were about equipment and uh, continued therapies. So adulting is hard and, and healthcare is, is tough to navigate for all of us. But I think that that's um, all that we had to present. There's hopefully some questions. Thank you very much for all the work that you're doing to coordinate healthcare transition. And just as a side, a transition program I think is needed because the two systems of care, one in pediatrics and the other in adult, do not align completely. So it's really like having two different plugs that don't fit together. Mm -hmm. um, and so here we've highlighted two counties' experiences. Uh, and it's, it's you know amazing that we can do transition planning that includes not only the therapists and uh, patients and parents and primary care uh, physicians, but also insurers uh, because they play a big role. Um, so um, in the next, just a couple of minutes, I, I think, before our next speaker, but um, I think people are asking questions about what about other counties? So an example is uh, where do fi clients find adult PM&R and PT specialists if they're not near an academic institution? Is there a NoCal statewide directory of providers, including who takes Medi-Cal? Uh, the other question is, do you know of other co counties that are dedicated, that have a dedicated social worker for transitioning aged youth? Those are complicated answers. Um, so let me start with the therapy resources generally. When you're not near an academic institution, it's very difficult. I mean, as soon as you leave the Bay Area, um, you run into problems. Um, so I don't know of a specific list for like the whole area. Really, it's going to be coming down to the clients contacting their managed care plan, which is what most of them are going to need to do, or their private insurance, if that's what they have, and figure out who takes them. Um, they're going to run into problems like, like Judy was just talking about, providers that might see them for their few visits that they're authorized for, and then every time they need to go in for our clients, which is you know not usually a one-time deal, um, having to reestablish each time. So um, hopefully they can find someone that they can get to repeatedly when they need that, but it really comes down to who their insurance will take, so they have to really contact their insurance and start there. Um, in terms of other county resources, um, every county CCS is surprisingly very different. Um, although we have the same kind of regulations that manage our entire program from the state down, um, how we implement those, those responsibilities is very dependent on the resources each county has. So once, especially when you get to very kind of rural counties, um, the, their, the number of staff they have, the money they have, the way they operate is very different. So what each county actually does in terms of transition is very specific to that county and how their public health department supports their program in addition to what the state does. 
So like I noticed somebody asked about transition social worker. I don't know any other county that has that in the same way that we do in Alameda County. I've had other counties say, how did you do that? I need that. We're like, you have to really advocate for that with your leadership and talk about, you know, resources and funding and things like that. So um, each county kind of has their own way depending on how their resources are allocated. So um, we are at the end of our, oh, actually, Judy and Cindy, sorry, I want to make sure that you have uh, an opportunity to respond. No, just completely agree with what Chris said. It's such a variety. Every county's different. Every county's resources are different. Um, and I, everyone is mandated to do it, so they'll make an effort, but it's going to look different every place. The only thing I can add is that I think that here in San Francisco, we're so fortunate because we do have the benefit of you know, a large teaching organization where they're recognizing the importance of this topic of transition and um, all the time we're learning ourselves of new clinics and opportunities that are available, like, uh, you know, the new adult CP clinic up at UCSF and um, the the movement disorders clinic, The there's a wellness uh, clinic going to be starting, the adolescent clinic. There's lots of options out of, you know, these are in the urban areas. I think it's, it's certainly easier for families, like Chris said, in the rural areas where less fewer resources are available, it becomes more work and more of a challenge for the family to try and um, see how how they can get their services and and, and make things happen. But um, in all of the cases, I think, you know, a good relationship with their managed care plan or their their private health care insurance company is critical um, because those are the people who can uh, help and assist in providing some resources um, and, and, kind of guiding them um, as to who they may be available in their area or under their plan as a for as a potential provider um, for the therapy part of the services. Um, so it, it's a challenge. Just it's good. It takes a lot of work. And I know that it's stressful for families, truly. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, Visit us online at uctv.tv.